The market has been all over the place, and the Fed and or inflation may still be to blame. Who do you call? Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of September 12th, 2022. And as I said at the top of the program, the market has not been for the faint of heart lately. And one of our good friends on the program, Steve Cianci, co-head of Global Fixed Income at Mackay Shields, has a compelling set of investment ideas we think our listeners would benefit from. So we asked him to hop on and shed some light for us. Steve, welcome back to the program. Hey, Lauren. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Always good to see you as well. The last time we spoke was May 10th, which feels like a lifetime ago. The Fed had just delivered a 50 basis point hike and laid out its quantitative tightening program. At that time, you were early to point out that the Fed was now highly focused on its inflation mandate, not as concerned about the labor force or recession risk, and would need to raise interest rates to near the neutral level, two and a half to three percent, to start bringing inflation under control. You're right. And it's been fast since then to tighten policy beyond neutral and now looking like into restrictive territory. In other words, the Fed has been even more on the move than we expected. So let's start there. Bring us up to speed on the the macro. The markets have been all over the place. What's your take? Well, I'll tell you, it's so funny that the phrase that the global fixed income team says on a daily basis is, oh, just another 10 basis point move in the two-year treasury because there have been so many 10 basis point moves on a daily basis. And volatility has really been the order of the day. We've seen it in rate volatility uh, as measured by the move index. It's been hovering in the 120s for some time. We've seen that volatility in spread markets. If you think about high yield, it may maybe tightened in since that May meeting as tightly as 400, but then shortly after Jackson Hole lasted off close to 500 basis points, almost 500 basis points. So that's quite a bit of volatility on a 400 handle, right? A 25% volatile move. If you look at commodity markets, think of unleaded gas. I think we've all been pleasantly pleased as consumers to see gasoline prices fall pretty precipitously, but that's after them rising dramatically in the first quarter of this year. So volatility, volatility, volatility everywhere. And I'll tell you that I feel like that there's certainly volatility from a policy perspective, whether it's policy from monetary authorities. Who would have thought this time last year that the ECB could have even thought about raising rates 75 basis points. So the jumbo rate raise is all the rage now for central banks, right? And of course, post-Jackson Hole, we've seen quite a bit of volatility. And tomorrow, we're going to get a very important number. We'll get the CPI number, and it'll be important to see. I think headline numbers are thought of to be fairly low, even possibly negative by some uh, forecasters, but the core number will be all important. And I think the market's expecting a 0.3. So let's hope we come in with a cool inflation number like we did last month. Well, CPI being consumer price index, a measure of inflation for any of our listeners who may not be as familiar. I want to follow up on just one thing you said there, Steve, which was about credit spreads. I'm very glad you brought that up. As you mentioned, credit spreads have widened somewhat significantly, 25% since the Jackson Hole Conference, as you mentioned. What do you make of that? Is the market right? Or in other words, is default risk rising? 
I think there's volatility in credit spreads, and I think there's rightfully volatility in credit spreads as the Fed, as you noted, has moved from uh, a very easy position to a position where they were talking about getting to neutral in a hurry to making it clear to the market that they're going to be in restrictive territory for a period of time. And that would be a targeting the Fed funds target north of that 3% area. And the market is pricing in something closer to a three and three quarters to 4% kind of terminal pricing rate for the Fed funds target, just to be clear. Additionally, we know that the economy is slowing down. We've seen it not only in the last two quarters worth of GDP numbers, which have been on the negative side, but also just in general, whether we're seeing in earnings revisions and in inventory numbers being pulled lower, there's a clear gearing down of economic growth, which should not be a surprise. That in turn has definitely left credit markets with more risk premium in them. And I believe that what to think about here is, is that not to think about a market of just credit spreads, but to think about where in the credit market to begin to see where you're compensated for that credit risk. Because it certainly isn't a market where you just want to wave in credit risk willy-nilly. You want to be very specific, utilizing some of your bottom-up researchability and the pricing of securities to find the best ideas to put in portfolios today. Well, let's talk a little bit about those best ideas. I, I want to start with some of the interest rate volatility that you've mentioned already on the program. As our listeners will know, the interest rate environment is incredibly important for bond pricing. The level of rates and a bond sensitivity to changes in interest rates or duration contribute to that general bond pricing environment. So describe the interest rate environment now. What type of investment opportunities does this interest rate volatility provide? That's funny, Lauren. We've been talking to our clients about navigating this fixed income market. And we have a, a, a page uh, that we call our three do's and a don't page. And the first do for us from an alpha perspective is duration, is adding interest rate sensitivity into the marketplace. And I know that could be confusing to investors. Well, why are you adding interest rate sensitivity when you know that the Fed is going to continue to raise rates? And it's actually where we're adding that interest rate sensitivity and why. And so first, we're seeing an environment of positive real yields again. If you look at the 10-year tip, for instance, the 10-year tip's real yield is about positive 80 to 85 basis points today. We're seeing the Fed actually raise rates above that neutral area, which they have deemed to be about 2 to 3%, and we know they're going to elevate rates above that 2 to 3% area. And we also have a great deal of faith in the Fed winning the longer-term battle of the inflation fight they're in the midst of. The combination of these things really leads us to an opportunity to actually, especially in intermediate maturities, five, seven, and 10-year maturities in the bond market, to take advantage of what we believe will be long-term opportunities for price appreciation in bonds again. This year's not been a year for price appreciation. In fact, it's fairly clear that it's been nothing but depreciation in bonds. Bonds have corrected about 10% or so in price terms and um, price plus coupon terms through this month. And uh, thinking about the Bloomberg aggregate benchmark as a proxy. And so in this environment, as a bond manager, you have a chance for two things. You have a chance for both price appreciation opportunities going forward, 
if the Fed is successful, and we believe they will be. And then secondly, you have a much higher income environment. So total returns for bonds are starting to look very, very compelling on a risk-adjusted basis. Steve, I want to dig a little bit deeper into what you're describing there. You mentioned that it might seem counterintuitive to an investor to be adding interest rate sensitivity into a portfolio at a time when interest rates are volatile. I think similarly, it might sound confusing to a listener that the these times of price correction or volatility overall in bonds might be a good time to add some of that exposure, again, depending on the opportunity. And so my follow-up question for you is, can you describe how you're thinking about these price opportunities more specifically, or when we see dislocations in the market, like we've been seeing, what opportunities does that bring? Lauren, I like to tell clients that every bad market brings some kind of opportunity to an investor. And the dislocation we're seeing in credit in this market is really around dollar price. So we haven't seen a real fundamental deterioration in credits, but we have seen dollar prices fall fairly precipitously. And one of the strategies that we're utilizing in our portfolio is we're actually rotating down from newly issued par price securities into securities that were issued about a year ago. So securities that are one year old, and we're doing this at seven and 10 and intermediate maturities is kind of the best way to think about it. And we're taking 15 and 20 points out of the trade. So I could buy the same bond in the capital structure of, let's say, a U.S. bank and buy it 15 or 20 points less in dollar price, basically the same yield and spread shorten up a year in maturity. And when I do that as an investor, of course, we're not looking at a credit situation in these securities. We're looking at just a lower dollar price situation. And when lower dollar prices are low in bonds, they provide a floor, they provide some downside protection. And then what we do is instead of buying par, that is the par amount of the bonds, the number of bonds that we're buying, we'll buy 115 or 120% of our original size in par. Meaning, you know, when, when you hear an equity manager say, hey, I'm buying more shares because prices have fallen, it's the same thing. We're buying more par because bond prices have fallen. So then we get the upside potential if spreads contract where we have better quote-unquote, convexity, better upside and less downside in these dislocated bond prices. It's not necessarily a terrible credit market, but bond prices are very low, and we believe it provides an opportunity. Really interesting, Steve. I want to dig just one level deeper into something that you've mentioned, which has to do with yields. As interest rates are rising, that presents a yield opportunity in fixed income. And now we've you mentioned as well your three do's and a don't. We've talked a bit about duration. We've talked about dislocation. And this yield opportunity from our perspective, as well as yours, is one of durability. So for years, we've discussed the challenge that lower yields brought to fixed income investors and savers in this economy. Now that rates are rising, what is that potential yield or durability opportunity? So durability is actually when, and I like to say it this way, when you can sit down with your analyst and get a baseball bat and hit the bond in the knees as hard as you can, and the bond still doesn't buckle. That's durability. And believe it or not, we're finding investment-grade opportunities, mostly in seasoned securitized credit with mid-single-digit yields, where we're able to do just that, where we're able to stress the securities at um, very, very arcane levels and still provide 
high loss-adjusted yields in the 6, 7, and even sometimes low 8% yielding levels. A lot of these securities are floating rate in nature or shorter maturity in nature as well. And these are opportunities that don't come along often. And you just really need to seek them out. And so, you know, through our exercise and alliteration here, duration, dislocation, and durability in this market actually is setting up a really handsome looking portfolio for total returns over the next 12 to 18 months. I absolutely love looking at things glass half full. But as you've mentioned, there are many risks in the economy and markets right now, lots of volatility. So let's look at how investors can consider those risks. What are the aspects of this market you're hoping to avoid? Yeah, it's it's so important. And you know, sometimes I get caught up in thinking about the upside and talking about it, but it's very important. The first thing we do is think about what we're going to avoid, where we're not going to put our clients' capital at risk, where we're not going to sacrifice principle, uh, where we're not just going to chase yield. And in this market, the don't, if you will, the cut off the tail part of what we're looking at and navigating this part of the market is in three specific areas. The first one is kind of easy, I think. And it's really in importing countries that are highly levered in emerging markets, the Pakistans of the world, the Sri Lankas of the world, that basically need to use their reserve currencies now for expensive food and fuel and really aren't thinking about paying external debt. You know, there's always a willingness and ability. And I would say that there are situations and parts of the emerging market, like I highlighted, where not only is there not an ability, but there's also not a willingness for, for good reason. So that's an easy one. And we've avoided that completely in our portfolios and global fixed income. The second one is maybe a little bit more nuanced. And while we do like floating rate securities in our portfolios, we've been cautious on a certain segment of them. And specifically within the loan market, you know, city measures that about 58% of the loan index that they have has companies whose capital structure is 100% floating rate in nature, meaning that they have no fixed rate bonds. And just think about it, Lauren, just as hard as it was for us to believe that the ECB would have ever raised rates by 75 basis points this month. In January of this year, it was highly unthought of that the Fed would move more than 25 basis points for the entire year. So economists and macro thinkers weren't thinking about that kind of rate rise. It's probably fair to assume that analysts weren't thinking about shocking their coverage ratios by three, four, and potentially 500 basis points. And of course, there could be a deterioration, especially with interest rate shocks like that. And for smaller companies, companies that have negative cash flow, companies that have lived off of the CLO machine, uh, the collateralized loan obligation machine as a way to finance themselves. So these are areas of the marketplace where we see more downside than upside. And so we've avoided it. And the final thing is, is in, in this market, has really been around unsecured credit and high yield. Negative cash flow in companies or companies we just want to stay away from. We've migrated up in quality in the higher tier of high yield, mostly in all double B securities. And we still think there are some opportunities there for sure, but that's been the motivation. So the three do's and the don't, which has three tiers to it, has been the way we in Global Fixed Income have been navigating the market. Well, there you have it to our listeners. Steve, we've covered so much ground today. Is there any other suggestion or observation you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I would actually. And I'd say that for listeners who are fond of looking back in history, 
I remember 1994 very well, which was another time where the Fed raised rates fairly aggressively. And um, in that period of time in 1995, they managed to provide what was thought of as an economic soft landing. But it was anything but a soft landing in the markets, in the interest rate markets that year in terms of return and risk. But 1995 wound up being a wonderful year for fixed income with some stability from the Fed, rates moderating and spreads contracting. It produced double-digit returns. I'm not forecasting those double-digit returns, but I am saying that there is a silver lining in fixed income with dollar prices this low and income this high in the marketplace for maybe a 1995-light type experience over the next 12 to 18 months. As always, some stellar ideas for us and for our listeners. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We always appreciate your perspective. Thank you, Lauren. It's always fun to be here. Coming up next, we have a habit of bringing Steve onto the program right before inflation numbers come out for the U.S. So we'll see those figures this week, which will provide investors with a closer look at how one of the Fed's two important mandates are tracking. Since the first of those mandates, the labor market, is still running hot, the second, inflation, will give investors clues as to whether the Fed will need to feel even more pressure maintaining a restrictive monetary policy. In other words, a bigger hike in the September meeting. That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn, including Steve's team. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamots and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding any fund or any issue or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. Makai Shields is a sub-advisor for some mainstay funds and one of the New York Life Investments Company. Not all products and services provided by Makai Shields may be available to all investors, limited by applicable laws and regulations in certain jurisdictions. Any opinions expressed are the views and opinions of certain investment professionals at Makai Shields, which are subject to change without notice. No part of this material may be re reproduced in any form or referred to in any other publication without the express written permission of Makai Shields. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nightlife Distribution, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nightlife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.